love you. We thank you. We give this morning to you. I pray the words of Scripture this morning, my words would be your words, that we would read the text, that we would understand the text the way you meant it to be understood, that you would help us to remember the importance and the strength and even the glory in the church, to lift your name up, to make your name famous, but to love those that you give us, to love them well, to honor them, especially in their hardest moments. Help us to carry pieces of the burden as we can but God most of all we give our loved ones to you we thank you that the God of the universe knows them knows them by name loves them dearly and that he has paid a price to sermon this morning no notes no nothing we're going to be in Romans chapter 12 here in just a couple minutes and we're going to read through this is where my heart has been now for the last couple weeks the same verse has been echoing over and over in my mind uh, weep with those that weep. Weep with those that weep. That has just been going on on repeat for over a month now. Uh, it has been the solid theme of what's going on in my mind and heart. And I don't know how many times it's been repeated in my own head, in my own heart. Uh, just preparing people, working through the grieving process with so many. We did, uh, you know, we did a sermon a couple weeks ago. We've been in Daniel talking about these things. So today, Instead of talking again about grief or talking again about struggle or talking again about the idea that you and I, uh, our, our future is, is what God makes it. Our future, uh, you and I have right now. You and I have right now. We're living in faith. We're living in peace. We're living in courage for the moment that we have. Give us today our daily bread is a, is a prayer that Jesus gives us to model. And it is a reminder that you and I are not guaranteed another tomorrow. Now, we are guaranteed an eternity. We are guaranteed heaven to come. But the life that you and I are living in right now is hard, it's fragile, and it's frail. What has God done to make that easier? He's given us what? The church. You see, today, if you and I are are living in a moment where it's not our burden to bear. We all have little things. We all understand that. But there are moments that come when the burden is too much. If it's not ours today, then what has God given that person that it is their burden? What has He given them? The church. He's given them the body. To love them, to pray for them, to lift where they can lift, to help where they can help. And most of all, even in that prayer, what are you and I doing? We are walking these people into the throne room of God. We are doing the most honoring, the most amazing thing we can actually do, which is taking them into the ancient of days, to Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and handing over our loved ones and saying, you love them better than I do. You can care for their needs, things I do not know. Things I can never do. You have the resources. You have the wisdom. You have these things. And so you and I, at a bare minimum, in your private time, in your bed at night, on your knees in the morning, driving your vehicle, you and I have the opportunity to walk these people, our loved ones, our family, into God's throne room and petition the one that spoke everything into existence to work in their hearts, in their mind, to give peace, to give love and joy and strength and courage. We have that authority and we have that mandate at a bare minimum. And then what do you and I have? Time together, leaning in, tears shed together, loving people properly, meals, all of these things that make life a little bit easier in the hardest of moments. 
We have been here, I've been here a decade, almost a decade. Allison and I have come to this church when Layla was just a baby. So we have been here just more, I guess, in a decade. How old is she? I'm lost right now. She's 11. So we've been here just more than a decade with you all. From the day that we walked in, our heart has been creating an atmosphere in the church that makes it a real church. We're not a country club. We're not an auditorium for shows. We're not even an auditorium for good music. We're not, I'm not standing on a stage. We are not those things. We were laughing yesterday in a text message. We're not people pleasers. We're here to please and honor the Lord of the universe. So for 10 years, we have dug our heels in in every imaginable way to try to make this a real New Testament church. Loving where there's confrontation at times because there has to be. The heart has always been here. This church, God has saved this church through so much chaos in the last 40 years. And the only thing I can think of, the only reason I can think of it is because the heart here has always been good. It's been giving and it's loved each other. And because of that, God has seen fit to navigate waters that have closed down many churches around the country and around the world for far less than what this church has gone through. So we've worked on that. One of the first things we did back in 2014 was we updated, and this sounds stupid to be talking about this this morning, but I want, you to, I want you to get the whole picture. We updated the church constitution and the policies and procedures a long time ago. We saw some things coming that we needed to be uh, squared away on, ready for, and whatever else. And in doing that, we got a chance to step into uh, a couple different pieces that I wanted to read with you this morning. And then when we go into Scripture, I want you to see why we have set the documentation up of the church to match the Word of God. Because when you and I come and we covenant together to be the people of God, the goal is to create what God wants. The goal is not to have 500 people and build a bigger building. It's not to run seven services and, and have a name out or a praise team out that everybody loves and admires. The goal is to be a church. Christ honoring people blessing community changing church and the only place that comes from is scripture one of the best passages i've seen is romans 12 that's what we'll read today but i want to tell you our church and what we've done article three of the church constitution is the mission the mission statement the mission of heritage baptist church is to bring honor and glory to god by peacefully resting in his grace and his joy diligently working to grow his kingdom Loving and serving our King during our earthly tenure so that one day we will all hear, not me, not the deacons, not the praise team, we will all hear, well done, good and faithful servant. That's the mission statement. That's why the lights are on and the door are unlocked. That's the only reason. That's what we're trying to achieve. In order to do that, we have some objectives. To worship and fellowship, experiencing an awareness of God, recognizing His person, and responding in obedience to His leadership. That comes out of Hebrews 10. To experience meaningful fellowship with God and fellow believers, 1 John 1 and 2. To cultivate and maintain disciples of Christ, Matthew 28. To minister to the total needs of people in our community and around the world in the name of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit. That is James chapter 1. As a church, we come together. And just like uh, if you've been married, you stand up and you give your vows, you make your covenant together. The church does the same thing. We have a church uh, covenant. The covenant reads like this. In order to become a member here, you have to assent to this idea. 
In furtherance of the spirit of unity, oneness, and commitment to the Word of God, the members of the church adopt the following covenant as members. Having been led by the Spirit of God to receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, Romans 2, 4, and on the profession of our faith in Christ, Romans 10, 10, then having been baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Matthew 28, we do now in the presence of God and this assembly most solemnly and joyfully enter into covenant with one another as one body in Christ. We engage, therefore, by the aid of the Holy Spirit, John 16, 13, to walk together in Christian love, to strive for the advancement of this church in knowledge, holiness, service, and comfort, to promote its prosperity and the spirituality of this church and its members, to sustain its worship, ordinances, doctrines, and discipline, to contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministry, the expenses of the church, and the relief of the poor, Galatians 2, and the spread of the gospel, Galatians 1, throughout the world. We engage to maintain family and personal devotionals, Philippians 2.12, to educate our children in our faith, to seek the salvation of our kindred and acquaintances, to walk circumspectly in the world, to be just in our dealings, faithful in our engagements, and exemplary in our actions, Romans 12.1 and 2, to be zealous in our efforts to advance the kingdom of our Savior and sustain Christian values in our society, Matthew chapter 5. We further engage to watch over one another in brotherly love, Galatians 6.1, to remember one another in prayer, to aid one another in sickness and distress, John 13, to cultivate Christian sympathy in feeling and Christian courtesy in speech, to be slow to take offense, but always ready for reconciliation and mindful of the rules of our Savior, James chapter 1. We moreover engage that when we remove from this place, we will, as soon as possible, unite with some other church where we can carry out the spirit of this covenant and the principles of God's word, Hebrews 10, Ecclesiastes chapter 4. So when you and I talk about covenanting together, that is what we're trying to achieve. Have any of us fulfilled it start to finish? It's not meant to be fulfilled. Like the Bible itself and the rules contained therein, you and I are striving to hit those marks. But when we come together and we covenant together, that's what we're trying to do. Times of sickness, times of distress. And we have been constantly in that now four months and this week has given us two more where the church has to show up you have to be a part of this process there are needs that are too big for one person or one church to accomplish they're all over our community we run into it every day but my simple point this morning is this we have people that are hurting and in trouble and in need and we have a church filled with people that were given for such a time as this you and i the lord has not gathered us together by accident he's not bound our hearts together as church as friends as loved ones as family he's not done that by accident He's done that so that you and I would be here in these moments on repeat together. You factor in the things of this last year, the things that have gone on. We have gone through a lot. And you all have showed up repeatedly. You've loved people well. You've taken care of their needs. You've spent time. You've brought meals. And in all of that stuff, you've been the church. But we've got to keep going we got to keep going. Look at Romans chapter 12 with me. As I read through it, I'll make a couple comments, but we're just going to let most of what's going to happen the rest of this time is going to be the Word of God speaking for the Word of God. 
Romans chapter 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, I want you to think about something very clearly as we go on. I appeal to you, brothers, therefore. What's the therefore? Right? You ever heard that little funny saying in class? If there's a therefore, you need to figure out what it's there for. Right? Romans 11 is a magnificent passage about God's working together the church, the nation of Israel, the Gentile nation, election, like it's all in there. It's all binding together and creating this glorious story of a church being built, of a people being won back into the presence and the power of God. It is amazing. So Romans 12 starts with, I appeal with you, therefore, because of 11, because of the first 10 chapters of Romans, I am appealing to you to do what's next. The first part, I think you and I need to understand, who do we serve when we serve God's people? Who was Paul cursing or persecuting when Jesus knocked him off his donkey on the road to Damascus? The church? It's not what Jesus said. Paul, Paul, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? You and I cannot lose track of what is going on here. Hands and feet of Jesus tangibly on most days. What does that look like? It looks like me and you serving and loving one another properly. That's what it looks like. Jesus said, they'll know you love me by the way you what? Wear your cross? Drive real nice with your Jesus fish on the back of your car? Right? Pass out your gospel track? Leave them on the toilet at the restaurant. You ever seen some weird stuff going on there, right? That's how they're going to know you love me? That's not what he says. What does he say? How you love each other. You see, this congregation together, eating together at your home, out somewhere, spending time together, showing up at a ball field, and just always migrating together. That's how the world looks and sees something different. We've got some young ones in here this morning. School is no different. You need to be finding people that love the Lord and gravitating toward them for safety and good fellowship on that mission field. And then when the outside world, they look in and they see you and I crying over somebody else's story or they see you and I expelling blood, sweat, and tears on somebody else's story. And it's totally foreign to them. Like, what, what is that? That doesn't make any sense to me. That's not your family. That's not your, but you're taking your resources, your time, your effort, your tears, and you're laying them out there to be useful to the world that looks weird. Because what does the world do things like that for? To get something in what? Return. Even if it's a huge donation that just puts their name on a plaque. All kinds of Robert C. Byrd all throughout the state. Highways and medical facilities. Like, listen, the world gives, but they always have ulterior motives. They see you and I give your treasure, your time, your temple, your very body. They see you and I give those things to those that are in distress, those that we love, those that are called by God to be a part of our church, this one and the one locally. The world looks at that and says, I don't understand what that is. But somewhere in the back of their mind, I sure wish I had it. 
41 years I've been alive and I've heard forever that if you had on, on one hand friends that you could call at a minute's notice and ask for something, you were doing well. For 30 years of being a Christian, I've had dozens. Dozens. Some of which I haven't seen in a decade or more. I could call and they would be there. You want to know why? Because our hearts were bound not through earthly things and not through this time together. Our hearts were bound as brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the power of what God is doing. That's the power of the backdrop you and I are giving society. They look at you and I and they say, that is odd, that is weird. And instead of being repelled, most of them are drawn to it. I wish I had friends like that. Remember what happened when the flood happened in 2016? Remember what happened when you bunch of wild animals run around with your HBC t-shirts on and you ruined a whole slew of them doing what? Digging people out of their houses? I mean, just looked like a gang of wild, dirty vagrants. Right? Showing up. Pulling stuff out of houses. Throwing them in dumpsters. Cleaning out. Shoveling mud. Right? You made a difference. And neighbors were looking over, and neighbors were watching, and other people were watching, and they were saying, man, that's amazing. You have friends like that? I do. They're not friends. They're family. Right? We serve the same God. And that God has set up a safety valve in my life, those people. Do you understand? You and I aren't just praying for God to show up and fix your problems. Number one, you're part of fixing somebody else's problem. And number two, they're part of fixing yours. If you get that wrong, your Christian life will be so out of whack. You and I will be sitting around for decades waiting for miracles instead of living life with other people that are the miracle. What's the miracle that two sinful people can get together and go in the same direction and love each other real and forgive each other real and confront each other when it's time? And, 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 and like iron sharpens iron, we could build this friction and we can make something special and we could be more like Jesus. That's the miracle. And a lot of times it's shoved off because it's the normal. Being around people is normal. So what happens when you and I are given this holy uh, sacrifice that, that is acceptable to God? What happens because of Romans 1 through Romans 11, this glorious story of the gospel, this glorious story of salvation, this glorious story. You know, there's one passage where it says God is, is not only um, the one that justifies us, Right? He makes us justified. He is the judge and the justifier. That's Romans chapter 3, Romans chapter 4. You know the significance of that passage? God has released our sin debt because he was the one that could. Nobody else could do it. He is judge and then he justifies. Because of that, therefore, because of that glorious story, the rest of the chapter would just read like this, be the church. How's that going to start? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. My first piece of the life that I am living is lived in subjection and worship to God. But if that peace is present, the rest will follow. I am not to be conformed to this world. I am to be different. I am to look different. I am to smell different. People are, when they look at our lives, they should get a piece, a picture, a glimpse of heaven. It'll be imperfect. 
And in order to do it right, there will be times that you and I have to apologize because we've messed up and heaven don't look like that. But when they see us, when they get close enough to us, they should see God's presence. They should see God's kingdom. Don't be transformed. Don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Why does the Bible say to take every thought captive? Because every change you and I make in our life that looks more like Jesus starts here. Starts in your thought life. Why? Because that's where all the seeds of doubt, all the seeds of sin, all the temptations are planted. They're planted here. And you and I have to sift them and pull them apart. Some of you younger will be issues of acceptance. You're never going to be liked if you don't do this. I can't believe those people love you. Right? Some of you are struggling with, with home lives that are bad. And the enemy every day is looking at you and saying, it's your fault it fell apart. It's your fault it fell apart. Nobody loves you. Nobody wants you. The enemy is speaking. And he is lying. And the only way to combat that is to take that thought captive, to pull it out, examine it. Does that look like what God would say to me? No, it's garbage. All of this change, all of this spiritual work starts with taking every thought captive. Why? Because that's how you renew your mind. Then when you start testing those things, you're able to discern the will of God. What does God want? What does he approve of? What does he disapprove of? Then verse 3, we get it from my relationship with the Lord of the universe. How I'm going to set my life up and then to what that looks like. Look at verse 3 with me. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. But to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of his faith that God has assigned. Listen, I want to warn you right now, one of the dangerous, one of the most dangerous temptations in the world is, is when you read a passage like that, I, I want you to um, think of yourself more highly than you ought to think about. One of the most highly, uh, one of the ways we lie about how highly we are is to think about how spiritual we are. And I'm going to have to, I'm going to, have to run that back a second because that's way off. It's not way off. It doesn't make any sense. One of the most dangerous temptations is to think you are more spiritual, more strong, or more something than you actually are. Does that make sense? That is the most dangerous temptation in the world for the Christian. And a lot of times it comes across like this. You don't need that. You don't need this. You're good. You don't have to be vigilant here. Your marriage is fine. You don't need to attend church. You're good. You believe what you believe and it's not changing. You don't have to do this. You don't need someone's help. You don't need to make that phone call. You don't need to ask for prayer. You're fine. You don't need that friend. You're good by yourself. The most dangerous thing you and I can do is over-spiritualize really how strong we are. Let him who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. And these spiritual temptations, boy, they sound good. You and I don't want to bother anybody. You know how many messages I have fielded in the last year and a half about not wanting to be a bother to somebody else? You know how many of those I have fielded? And every one of the responses is the same. You're not a bother. That's why we're here. What do you need? Can we be helpful? Don't remove the opportunity for these people to love you and to show you that. Why? Because they're living out what Jesus would do. Don't rob people of that. We spiritualize so much stuff that it sounds better, and in all honesty, it's the most dangerous thing you and I can do. Sheep that get alone are sheep that end up lost or eaten. If the analogy is sheep, 
We need a shepherd. We need a flock. Verse 4, for as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us uh, use them, if prophecy, in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, and the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. What's that passage say? You have a place. You have a job. It doesn't matter on your body what little piece is nicked, bumped, bruised, lopped off. It's an issue. Correct? You and I are one body. Covenant together as a body. And I think of the language here. I'm looking, I'm reading the language, man. There's, there's a real marital piece to this. We know how important marriage is to God. Well, there's a real marital piece here too. You and I have coveted together. And what does he say? Um, one individually, uh, one body in Christ and individually members one of another. He doesn't say one of another to your spouse. He says one of another to the church. Your life, your blessing, your hurts are mine. And mine are yours. When you succeed, I should rejoice. And when you weep, I should weep. Because we share these things together. You've been given more than just a family. You've been given a church family. Look at verse 9 with me. Let love genuine. Abhor what is evil. Friends, don't flirt with it. Don't flirt with what's evil. Don't get close to it. You may watch the football game yesterday. WVU, sorry, I, gotta, I know i got to differentiate. There's a bunch of them. Anybody watch the WVU football game yesterday? Did you watch it on ESPNU or whatever streaming stuff? Okay, they had it on station. I went to work a little bit of overtime yesterday. Had it on station. One of the most grotesque and vile commercials I have ever seen in my life run during a football game when there are children watching. Anybody remember which one I'm talking about? I got a couple head nods. It messed with my mind the rest of the day. It was that bad. Don't flirt with evil. We don't hate people. We don't hate people. But we don't applaud bad decisions. And we don't applaud sin. Because what happens later? Judgment. If I really, if I really love someone and I don't tell them judgment is coming, do you actually believe that? Because I do. I actually believe judgment is coming. So if I don't look at someone and say, if you don't repent at a bare minimum, right, your eternity is going to look different. At a maximum, you're going to go to hell. Judgment is coming. James chapter 5, we just talked about it this morning. He's standing at the door. The day of the Lord is at hand, meaning it's, it's coming. Don't flirt with evil. Don't flirt with it for any reason. Whatever it promises you, I promise, it oversells and under-delivers. It crushes everybody that comes in contact with you after you and I partake. Now, I was talking to a friend earlier this week, and they have a couple children. 
one going into military, one going to college. And the first thought that hit me when I heard that was, the one going into the military is probably safer than the one going to college. Now, parents, that that thought process and that indoctrination is strong. Abhor what is evil. You and I better be sending missionaries to college, not children. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Don't don't happenstance. You're not going to fall into good, godly things. You better hold fast to it. You better hang on like a headlock and ride it all the way until you meet King Jesus. Don't let go. Hold fast to the good. The just, the loving, your marriage, your family, your church, good news, enjoying someone else's good news. Grab a hold of that stuff. Hang on to it. Enjoy it with them. Why? Because everything else is hard, nasty, mean, and wicked. Grab a hold of the good things and hang on like crazy. And it's not going to just happen. You have to be intentional. You have to be aggressive. You have to wake up in the morning and seek it out. And when you find it, hang on to it. If you and I are fortunate enough to roll out of our house, to hit your feet on the ground and look up and say, there are good things here, that is a wonderful blessing. If you're in college or you're somewhere else or something's wrong at home and you roll out of bed and it's not, you need to find something to grab a hold of. The Word of God, a cup of coffee, time together, reading that, enjoying that. Find something, grab a hold of it, and hang on to it. If you walk into work and it's horrible there, find something good to gravitate toward and get a hold of it and hang on to it. Because if you and I don't, the enemy will pummel us repeatedly. He will steal your joy. He will steal your peace. And eventually, if you and I bite off certain things, he will make you bitter. He will make you hateful. And he will steal your testimony. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. I love that. Listen, Scripture says this. You and I are not supposed to honor ourselves. But if we're in a functioning, properly body you never go without that exhortation like a dad like a good dad patting you on the back and saying i am proud of you you and i live where that should be the common thread in this body together we should be edifying one another building each other up how many people do you know outside of a church that actually get that in a week a month how many people do you know that live with spouses that have never complimented them never honored them, children that never honor their parents or parents that never honor their children, a school where you can go all day and there's nothing but dishonor and sarcasm and nastiness. And the Bible commands you and I outdo one another in honor. Outdo one another in love and honor. I am proud of you. I appreciate you. You are so helpful. Verse 11, do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Fervent in spirit. Pastor was given a comment about people that were a little too rowdy, right? And he said, it's easier to tone down a fanatic than resurrect a corpse. Man, that's a good one. Be fervent, vigilant, ferocious. In what? In all these things we're talking about, all these wonderful good things. Your life will get better if you and I do this. My life will get better. 
Who doesn't want to be around people that honor them constantly? Not lift them up, not lie, not flattery, not saying things because the enemy wants to use it later to, to hurt you or to get something out of you, but honor. The Lord has created you the way that you are. He loves you. He has cared for you. He has called you to salvation. He is making you new, and you are pouring yourself out in service to other people, and all of those things are wonderful. And we are brother and we are sister. I mean real honor. Who would not want to be a part of that? Serve the Lord. Verse 12. Rejoice in what? Your circumstances? Read it out loud. There's going to come a day when your circumstances stink. You're going to have to rejoice in what? Hope. James chapter 5 tells the church the same thing man it's funny how these passages align rejoice in hope be patient in what be constant in what contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality all that stuff i read to you in our church constitution do you see where it's coming from we're not trying to build something pie in the sky something silly something stupid we're trying to navigate people into something god blesses and something that he would actually call a church and when you leave this place the covenant says you're going to find another one that tries to do the same thing. The whole goal is to set people up to be disciples. Verse 13 again, contribute to the needs of the saints and to seek to show hospitality. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those that weep. Do I have to say anything? No, you do not. The greatest trick the devil has ever played to separate people in these moments is to make you feel like you are required to say anything. Just showing up, putting your arm on somebody's shoulder, giving them a hug, and the Holy Spirit does what the Holy Spirit does. Sometimes when, sometimes when people alter, I'll come up behind them, and I won't know what they're praying about, I won't know what's going on, but what I will do is just gently sing whatever the music is as a backdrop. Because most of the stuff we sing is joy-filled. And if there's pain, there's hope coming. And sometimes I just feel like I don't think their soul could sing right now. Hearing the words. Listen, you don't have to pass seminary to be a help. You don't have to pass seminary to weep with someone that weeps. You could show up like you would if they tripped and fell. One of the girls lost the shoes when she had a flat tire. Daddy ran right up, picked her up, helped her as much as he could. Now, when she's 35, he's not going to be able to pick her up and hold her and walk her downstairs, but he's still going to pick her up and help her, right? He's going to get under her arm. Whatever he can do in the moment to be helpful is what he's going to do. It's a beautiful picture of this right there. If she'd have been 6'4", right, he'd have been under her shoulder just walking with her, right? She'd have been towering over him. Instead, she's two foot four, and so he scoops her up and does what he needs to do. God can scoop any one of us up. But sometimes you and I, the only thing we can do is have a hand and get under a shoulder and just walk with that person. You don't have to say a word. And listen, friends, one of the other things you can do is just pray with them. Walk them into the throne room of God as a brother or sister. What if I don't know what to say? It'll be fine, I promise. Lord, we love you. Start there. Help my friend. If God translates our tears, you don't have to worry about saying anything. If God translates our broken heart, you don't have to worry about saying anything. The Holy Spirit is creating there a moment of heaven on earth. Verse 15, rejoice with those that rejoice. Enjoy their good. 
Weep with those that weep. Live into, dive into when it's hard. Verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty or proud, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Why? Because what happens when you're wise in your own sight? You end up getting humbled. That's a promise. Don't be wise in your own sight. You and I are constantly seeking someone to be a, a good counselor. We're constantly seeking the word of God to make sure our ways are aligned with God's. Verse 17, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Do not mess that scripture up. If possible, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. Listen, some people don't want peace. They want war. They want to fight. They want evil. They love it. They're, child, they're children of Satan. They've come to steal, kill, and destroy. You have to navigate who those people are in your school, at your work, in your house. Thanksgiving's coming. Christmas is coming. And some of you are already rattling off people that you know just want war. Don't invite them. Oh, that's so horrible. Oh, goodness, I can't believe it. I would rather ruin my whole day and have somebody here that I don't want here that's nasty and mean and wicked. Don't invite them. Keep the peace of your home. Let me tell you this too. Who you invite into your house, they bring with them the stuff that's chewing on them. And sometimes it lingers. You ever have somebody leave and be snippy with somebody that you shouldn't be snippy with? You ever spent time with somebody and when they leave, you start acting like them and if you're wise enough or somebody's loving enough to, to, to like, hey, diagnose that right then, you're like, ooh, yeah, where'd that come from? I'd come from the spirit you invited in your home. It lingered. Adversarial. Nasty. Mean. Wicked. Don't invite them. Enjoy your Thanksgiving. Enjoy your Christmas. Honor the Lord and our Savior. Right? If they come up, hand them their gift out the door. Shut it. Listen. I, listen. You are not a safe person. There's nothing wrong with that. Some of you all are just way too nice. Like you are not safe. You're nasty and mean and wicked. I don't trust my children around you. I don't want to be around you and I don't want to argue all day. Merry Christmas. Here's your fruitcake, right? Here's your fruitcake. Everybody knows what that means. You really don't care. You just picked it up. Verse 19, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. That's the fruitcake. If he's right thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Is that judgment? I heard this once before. Is that judgment? You're going to be, reap burning coals on his head. Ray Vanderland taught this one time, and I thought it was amazing because look at the next verse. What's the next verse say? Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What if the idea of burning coals on someone's head was the idea of repentance? What does God do to Isaiah when he gets ready to spend, uh, send him to the world to speak for him? He says, I'm a man of unclean lips. And God takes the coal, and he does what? Touches his lips. And he gives him clean lips. What happens if your Christian influence wins someone to the Lord? Now granted, if they're mean to you, Jesus has already told us what's going to happen to them. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? You got somebody that's pummeling you repeatedly, whatever else, and you can't get away from them. You can't do that. Listen to me very carefully. Jesus takes it very personal. Takes it very personal. Judgment is coming. And it will be worse for those that have done horrible things to people that just wanted to love and care and do those things. But what if God used your testimony to bring someone to the gospel? 
What if God uses the testimony of our church when our people are going through hard times to win other people in family? As they come this morning to play, we talked a couple weeks ago about how do we grieve. We grieve connected. We grieve compassionately. But we also grieve in context. We grieve in community. And we grieve with conviction. We grieve together. We grieve in hope. We grieve in compassionate love and care for one another. But in order to do that, you have to show up. You have to be there. You have to be available in some way. And that's what you're called to do. The greatest honor you're going to have in the coming weeks is to love people like Jesus would if he were here. Come on. Hmm? He needs one thing more than that, Crystal. And he is not hindered by distance or influence. He needs the Lord. And the Lord is there. God, we love you. We give our young brother to you right now. We pray for Logan, God, as he is in a situation none of us would choose. And God, I pray for his heart and his mind right now that you would be at work. God, you are not limited by distance. You are not limited by influence. God, I pray for his dad and his stepmom, that you're at work there. That God, somehow in the midst of all this chaos, you are going to do something amazing. That you are going to heal relationships, not just with people, God, but between them and you. You're going to bring about repentance. And you're going to bring about glory and peace and strength. And Lord, I just pray for them right now that you would give today their daily bread, what they need in faith strength and courage you would supply for today that you would let her not be thinking about tomorrow that logan would not think about tomorrow that today would be the day the love the care the attention they are giving god that you would pour them out today and tomorrow they would wake up to mercies new again lord we love you we need you 
This young man needs you. His father needs you. His stepmother needs you. Lord, we need you to put people in his life right now where he is at, at school, in the doctor's offices, God, that you would supply him with those that love him. And until then, God, let our prayers bridge that gap. The prayers of those that know him, the prayers of those that love him, God, let our prayers bridge that gap. Holy Spirit, work like only you can. We give this family to you knowing you have the resources, you have the wisdom to do what needs to be done. And ultimately, God, we want to be with you forevermore. Until then, give us the strength and the courage to live in this hard life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.